Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. Uh, we had some time off. I had to go back home to Mississippi to to find me a place to live uh, with my my new job coming up, coaching basketball at uh, Yazoo County High School. Uh, so we we're we we're looking to get a house. Uh, so we're we're back. Uh, we're ready to roll. Um, hopefully the NBA is is ready to follow on that soon. I'm excited about this podcast. I am going to be joined um, by a by a guy who is affiliated with the New Orleans Pelicans uh, as a as a writer, maybe not the organization specifically. Um, before we jump in with him, let me make sure you guys know where you can find us. You can find me at J underscore Timberfake underscore. You can find the podcast at the Three and D Pod, and as always, uh, Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. So my my guest is Mason Ginsburg. Did I say that right? That's right. All right. Tell tell the people where they can find you and find your stuff. Sure, man. This is this is. <laughs> we've done a couple podcasts for uh, myself and my my co uh, co host uh, Schmidt Dua, who um recently but it feels still feels weird doing a podcast about basketball feel because it's been so sporadic at this point but uh right right not really right that much anymore but uh been affiliated with bourbon street shots for a long time back in the day it was born as 24 7 of the true hoop network espn true hoop network um since then obviously hornets rebranded we rebranded uh, bourbon street shots um also started doing uh you know we our site had a long time podcast uh called in the know and about two years ago, the longtime hosts decided they were they were go, done with it after you know close to a decade. They did it for a hell of a long time, and then Shabit and I uh, picked it up, and so we we've joined since the Blue Wire Network uh, of podcasts, and so we're, our our podcast is affiliated both with Blue Wire and Bourbon Street Shots. So, um, so so yeah, um, I'm mostly just podcasting these days, but still keeping up with the team just as much as always, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Awesome, yeah, I'm glad that you uh, were able to get on with us. Um, so here's what we're going to discuss. Um, so you guys know Mason and I have only talked very briefly right before this. So we have not discussed what we're going to talk about in depth uh, very much. So we are all familiar with uh, the comments by now by Damian Lillard. Um, and, and if you listen to the podcast that um, they do, uh, Kenny and Charles and Ernie and Shaq, um, they talked about the different scenarios of how to bring back the season when we do start back up, um, whether it's going and taking everybody to Disney World or taking everybody to Las Vegas. It's, it all comes down to do we play out these last 15 to 16 games and let's finish the season? You do it an AAU tournament style where you're just playing games all throughout the day and you're playing games in back-to-back days just to get it done. Or Lillard suggested something about uh, a play-in for the eight seed. I think uh, there's been some national media that, that mentioned that as well. Uh, and what's funny is that they mentioned it only for the Western Conference. They don't mention a play-in for the eight seed in the Eastern Conference with the Orlando Magic. It's just, it's just the Grizzlies. Um, or we just jump right into the playoffs. And for Grizzlies fans, selfishly and honestly, we're going to pick let's just jump back into the playoffs immediately um and let's go get swept by the lakers but we hey we made the playoffs um so i'm gonna i'm gonna toss it up to you uh and i'm gonna i just want to hear your perspective as a pelicans fan but then also as a basketball fan um as how you think the the nba should uh return and then what would you like to see as a as a pelicans uh fan and somebody that covers them yeah it's uh um yeah obviously it Pelicans fans would love to see this thing played out. I mean, 
the uh, the, the the team was uh, so three and a half back, I, I believe, uh, of of Memphis. And uh, I mean, I, I think betting odds and anything real realistic would say it's a coin flip. I mean, the most recent example, so uh, Will Guillory, uh, who covers Pelicans, the athletic had John Hollinger um, do it, uh, join him for a kind of a two part Q and a, and that came up the playoff race and, and Hollinger called it basically a coin flip just because of the strength of schedule differences. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, Pelicans ever since Zion came back there seventh in the NBA in net rating, the rec win loss record is, is only 11 and nine, but they've been, they, I mean, the overall, productivity of the team has been has been solid and that was against a pretty decent strength of schedule and I think I think at this point the the, the differences in in strength of schedule have been played out as as far as um, needs to be at this point the Pelicans really only had three games left against teams with a winning record um, and or actually uh, yeah three three games left against teams with winning records it was Clippers the Jazz and the Sixers and the Sixers, I mean, they had they had their own set of injury problems, and so it was it was truly kind of going to be kind of a cakewalk for the Pelicans from there on out. And um, whereas Memphis had one of the most difficult schedules in the league, so I mean that said, three and a half games is is not easy to make up, and you've got other teams also chasing. Um, so I mean, not, no reason to discredit the Kings, uh, the you know the Blazers, uh, even the Spurs. I mean, these are all teams that I think felt like they had a shot. Um, I don't, I, I think the Pelicans are playing the best basketball of all those teams and combined with the, uh, just because they were finally fully healthy and then combined with the, the strength of schedule aspect, I think the Pelicans had the leg up on all those teams other than Memphis. And so, you know, coin flip. And so New Orleans fans obviously want that played out, then become comes back to your first question, which is the practicality of everything. And so that's, I mean, it's tough. I don't, I don't advocate first and foremost for any sort of back to backs after this stuff. Like it, it's, it's hard enough. You've got to balance getting the players back in shape with playing out the schedule or some form of it. I, I really don't think at this point it's an, on the table at all to really play out the rest of the season as planned. Um, I think you could make the, make a case for some sort of play in tournament. Um, I don't, it, it just gets tricky because uh, the, the Pelicans obviously, you know, like if, if you just play out, if you just play out simulate all the rest of the games based on you know how the teams uh, their their current health their current play uh you know how they've been playing i, I think you 90 percent of the time to 95 percent of the time you get the grizzlies of the pelicans in the playoffs um maybe the other five to ten percent probably mostly portland uh i think the kings i i i just don't buy in but there are some i there are some scenarios that that you know somehow get them in but um so, I mean, but how do you, how do you actually do that? And how do you tell the Blazers or the Kings, sorry, you're not in the cut. And, and honestly, the Blazers are technically ahead of the Pelicans in the schedule <laughs> or in the standings They're um, They've won one more game and lost one more game. And so by winning percentage, they're <laughs> 0.001 ahead of the Pelicans. And so you can't, ju you can't justify not you having the Blazers in some sort of play in tourney. So there's the Blazers, the Kings. I mean, it's just, it's difficult to figure out the, the way that a play in tourney makes sense. Um, the one thing I'm not concerned about is uh, I think I think it's funny that that you mentioned the Eastern Conference situation, and I think it's very fair to mention it. But I mean, like five and a half game difference. There's some di there's differences with the reigning strength of schedule in Orlando versus the Wizards, and I, I I have no problems with them just kind of nailing nailing in that season and and going to uh, to the next round. But then I mean, like there there's so the trickle down effect is also real it's like well you can't just kind of you can't mail in the 
the what the Eastern Conference and not the Western Conference, can you? Because there's additional games that have to, would have to be played there that give an unfair advantage to teams. And so I don't know. There's a lot to consider. And that's a long way of me saying that I don't really see a plausible scenario that this gets that there's like a play-in tournament for the eighth seed. I think the most likely scenario is if the season can resume, which is a big if at this point. I, I mean, I, I think Memphis gets it. And just because I don't see I don't see a practical solution to creating some sort of play attorney that's that's fair to all parties and makes sense. I mean, the only the only X factor is Zion Williamson and the, the league wanting to get Zion on TV a couple more times uh, or even even Dame. I mean, there, there are definitely stars who would be playing in this play attorney. It's not like you're just talking about middling teams with no real, um, you know, attractive talent. So um, could happen. But I think the if, if the season should resume, the overwhelmingly likely outcome is that we just go straight into the playoffs. Yeah, so if the, the one logical way of doing it as a play-in is that you have to have either – you're going to say all teams 8 through 15 in both conferences are going are gonna to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. One through sevens are locked in on both sides. Now, you have to do it that way because the lottery comes into to effect. Like you can't um, give sure. these other yeah. teams extra games and the record change like you mentioned – so if you're going to do it, you have to do at least 8 through 15 on both sides. Um, but who's to say that Luca doesn't get hurt? And please, Jesus, don't let Luca get hurt. But Or Kristaps gets hurt, and whoever's in the 8 can jump to the 7. Like, So it's almost like you have to do a play-in tournament like Kenny Smith mentioned on the All the Smoke pod where he said it's basically a March Madness all teams are in one and done and let's go. And then he um, brought up a counterpoint to his own point and said, well, then you mess around and the Knicks go on some hot streak and people get hurt and the Knicks are the NBA champions. And it'd be a very poor reflection of, um, of the season. Like obviously the Knicks were, should never have been crowned the champions of the NBA. I think uh, we're in the wrong conference to talk about though. Like, cause I'm right. If you go, if you go eight through 15, you, you talk about the, Grizzlies playing the Warriors in the first and that first round of the of the play in and, and you get <laughs> what's that and Steph Curry's back yeah Steph Clay I mean that's that's danger that's a danger zone for Memphis <laughs> oh absolutely and so then you you go to um, do you make this playoff games and then make it to where it doesn't affect the um, lottery seedings and and wherever you fall your you get that lottery um, percentage if you don't make that eight seed. Um, so it's, it is tricky. Like you said, Mm -hmm. um, I think the only reason I think that it is a possibility that we'd come back and we play out the last 15 to 16 games is because Adam Silver is kicking around the idea of starting next season around Christmas, Mm -hmm. um, and finishing over the summer and, and just kind of playing with the idea of seeing what summer ratings would be like with NBA basketball. So if he's really kicking the tires on that, then maybe he's kicking the tires on, we're going to have our entire season because, they they don't necessarily need the the revenue, but they need the revenue. Uh, and well, so- yeah, and I think I think it makes a ton of sense to do that for other reasons too. Because if you think about if you push back the start of the next season, you push back, you, you're, you're prolonging when uh, you think you might be able to get fans into the arenas too. And so, like, there's a revenue implication, not just because playoff revenue is is you know they teams make more money in the playoffs, and, and well, and the, and TV rights obviously that you know you're 
you're getting more more and more primetime games to the playoffs as you get deeper in, and uh, the league just makes more money for the for playoffs. And then, and then next season, you 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 can push back the start, and maybe you get to a point in the season next year where you can have fans in the arena where if you started at the normal time, that was less likely. And so there, there's a there's a next season revenue implication too, not just this season. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other part that comes into play too, though, is is the kids that are declaring early for the draft. If the draft isn't until after school starts back in the fall, like how are they going to play around with that? Um, there's just so much at play. And, and honestly, being an NBA fan, I'm glad that it is Adam Silver making the decisions as a commissioner over all the other commissioners. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, <laughs> um, so there, here's, here's a nugget. You, you talked about it's Zion is that X factor that changes things. And just looking at the teams that are fighting, I, I'm with you. I don't necessarily believe the Kings have it in them to make that push. Um, the Spurs have Popovich. So anything can happen with them. Yep. Um, but so that, that puts you at the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, and the Trailblazers. And there was that stretch where Damian Lillard owned the league. Um, but they were struggling down the stretch, uh, if I remember correctly. And I counted – that the Grizzlies had 11 games left against playoff teams. And I think the Blazers had 10. And I didn't know that you guys only had three. So, obviously, the strength of schedule is – Well, five because the Grizzlies – we have two games left against you guys. In tech, in, in That's Memphis right. This is the eighth seed, so it's five. But it's three against winning records. Okay. So, there's – those two head-to-heads matter big time. And so, when I look at the makeup of the Pelicans, you've got Zion, who is a freak of nature, who just is gonna, who's going to put up numbers. But then you guys have the vets. Like, you, you've got Drew Holiday. You've got J.J. Redick. You've got Derek Favors. You've got the coach that's been there, done it, too, with the Warriors. Um, so, I, I am a little nervous about if, hey, we're going we're gonna to play this out, that the Pelicans don't blow by us. But at the same time, who would have ever thought that Memphis would be in, this, in the position that they're in on top of we're going to have Justice Winslow added back to the fold and – Grayson Allen could be back at that time, back too, and he's probably our, our purest shooter, which isn't the greatest compliment of our team when it comes to shooting, <laughs> but we need the shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that Justice Winslow X factor, there hasn't been a team in the league that sees how he fits into what we're going to do. So that's kind of a leg up for us. It's just – there's just all these these different things. Cause, I, you know, I was a huge – yeah, I, got, I, I was like a I, – Fantasy basketball, I was always so high on Justice Winslow. Like, once Miami figured out how to put him in the point forward role, it just seemed like things sort of developed for him. And that said, I'm just I, – I haven't seen anything I bought that makes me buy into his health. And so, like, that's the that's the catch-22 with him. Is like, I thought that was a trade that if you're Memphis, you make that trade 10 times out of 10. Um, but at the same time, I, I got to – he's got to prove it before uh, – that he can stay healthy for a, a good stretch before uh, before I buy into it. But this, I think the – I think the raw talent and ability is there, and I think he fits. Right, and and what scares me is that being 23 years old and being, like you said, what they what he figured out last year with him at point forward, that was a lot of fun to watch him play basketball in that role last year. Were the Heat so willing to trade him to get Andre Iguodala because they are also nervous about health? Like, is this our Chandler Parsons swing you know, hey, he's got the health issue, but let's just take our, our swing right here. And if we miss, we miss. All we had to give up was Iguodala um, and Jay Crowder. You know, yep. we didn't lose anything in this in this deal. Um, you know, that that is scary. He's, he's young. He's talented. Are they really believing that they can make a title run this year 
or is it more of a point of we're not so sure that he's going to recover from this back issue. Um, let's just go ahead and move on and get what we can. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a fair, fair question. And I feel like it's my Miami, you know, I, I think Miami did feel like they could make a deep playoff run. And I think that, I mean, all, all long-term planning for Miami revolves around Giannis. And so, um, you know, if they, whatever they're doing is, is I think, the, the backstory is let's put ourselves in as best position as possible to make a run at him. Um, but, but also, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and as, as a fellow small market team, I mean, I'm sure you can relate that, that teams like the Grizzlies and the Pelicans have got to take swings like that, I think, because, you know, typically you're not going to recruit a star player in free agency unless you become a, a real juggernaut. And so like, um, you know, if you can, you, you've got to trade for him or you got to, or you got to draft them. And so, if you feel like Justice Winslow can be that guy, like I said, like I feel like that's a move you you, you got to make, and not to say that Justice Winslow is going to become a superstar, but I feel like that's a that he's a guy whose whose upside is real, and I think still like still has a, has room to to reach it to to a point. Um, and so and so yeah, I mean I, I think I think the trade made sense for for both sides, but again the the the, the underlying medical issue is one that we will never really know all about, um, and may have driven a lot of Miami's thinking. Right. Uh, I'm with you 100% on that. So here's, here's a question I'll put you on the spot. You, you're, you're being told ahead of time that we're going to play out the last 15, 16 games of the season. You've got to put money down on who's making the eight seed. Where's your money going? I mean, it's going, it's going New Orleans. Um, but so wait, hold on. Let me, let me just, let me ask one clarifying question here. It's, what's the scenario are we playing out every the the entire schedule as expected we're entire just, schedule okay and we're starting at like what in a month is that the is that the, the yeah, scenario we, here we give them we give them three weeks of a training All camp right. to get back in shape for and we're going to jump in and we're going to finish these 15 16 games with minimal back-to-backs as possible and and try to finish it out yeah fair enough and that, so like i'm the reason i'm taking new orleans is so like if you just look at the schedules and the way teams are playing and nothing else. So ignore, ignore like the fact that the Pelicans will get JJ back, who is, who is on the shelf when play stopped and then the injury, same injury considerations for the Grizzlies. Um, I just feel like there are additional nuances to the remaining strength of schedules. That's still, that tilts even further in the Pelicans favor. Like for, um, for example, of, of those three games against winning teams with winning records. So they've got a back-to-back at Utah at LA, which sucks. I, I mean, they lose both of those most likely, but um, even though there's a, there's a history with the Pelicans in Utah this year, there've been a couple games that, that had some real referee snafus. I don't know if you remember, and it was it was kind of a it was kind of a mess. So the Pelicans are definitely going to get up for that game, and I'm glad that it would have been on the like I would have been glad that it's on the first game of the back to back and not the second because I think they could have a chance at that game in Utah, and then they're just kind of nailing the Clippers game. Um, but uh, but but yeah, I mean even the one with against Philly is the third to last game of the season, and there's a real chance that Philly has nothing to play for at that point. Um, and then some of the other games too, it's like the last game of the season against San Antonio, they're probably out of it at that point, if we're being real. And, and so like, so there are some games against the, me, the mediocre teams, the teams currently fighting for the eighth seed that I think maybe drop off by the time they play them. Um, and so I, I think they're even, even some of the games that are, you know, the, the, they're losing records, but they're still competent. I think that maybe the scenario changes by the time they play them. Like the two games left against the Spurs are on, or the sixth to last game of the season and the last game of the season. Um, and so I think those both, and they're both 
at San Antonio. So if San Antonio is kind of like, eh, it's over anyway, we're going to shelve some of the guys who, who helped get us where we are. There's that. And so I just feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like the Pelican schedule just sets up so well. And they, and the, the, the hard part of this to me is figuring out how, how teams bounce back from this, from everything. So like, if you just assume that, all right, we start today, everything's fine and players are getting ready. And then in three weeks we start playing again, you know, how does Lonzo or Brandon Ingram respond from not probably not getting that many shots up over the last couple of months? Like I, it's, it's a question we'll never really know the answer to most likely. Um, and it's the one thing that gives me some reservation because I feel like maybe um, I, and, but I haven't really thought through also how the Memphis players would react to something like that and how, how they would respond. And so, um, you know, so I felt, you know, I, I had maybe 55 to 60% chance for new Orleans before all this. Um, I don't have information to tell me that my opinion would change based on anything that's happened, assuming the, the season would start back up, but, um, probably way more than you wanted to hear, but I, I lean slightly towards the Pelicans, but it's, but it's tough. Like it, I, <laughs> three and a half games is, is a lot to come to, to surpass in this timeline. Hey, you there? Might be muted. You hear me? Now I can. Yep. Uh, you got the you got the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell drama that you guys will get to um, run up against. So Utah maybe yeah. in minutes when they come back. That's, that's um, true. And my guess is that there is probably going to be um, some of the teams on your schedule that are in tank mode as well um, yeah. and, and won't be trying to win. And Grizzlies don't have that. I think we've got. I don't know the exact numbers, 15 or 16 games left and 11 of them are against playoff teams. So like we're, we're not going to be afforded to, to play the tank because of those other games, it's um, Blazers head-to-head and you guys head-to-head. And those are going to be absolute dogfights. And those would be like, – I hope we can play the season out just to see how both teams respond because you guys are young too. Even though you've got a little bit more veteran presence than we do, I mean, Lonzo and Ingram and, and Zion and Josh Hart – uh, Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes, like you guys have a lot of young talent that really haven't been there yet, and so do we. And like just to see that dogfight would be awesome. Yeah, and the, and and the one thing too that I don't think we anticipated that did happen is we got we have actual precedent for Zion playing in a back to back already, and so like, I think that was something we just said, eh, probably not going to happen this year. He's not going to play back to backs, and he's already done it. Um, and so, <laughs> funny enough, the first time he did it was a Pelicans game on Thursday night and then the Rising Stars Challenge on Friday night. I was like, oh, well, if he's going to do that, he can certainly play in real back-to-backs, and they, and they did. They did use him in a back-to-back. I think it was uh, – what games was it? It was like um, the uh, – I don't remember where it was, but there was one of them. And, um, and so that was, uh, that was a, another thing that we that kind of tilts a little bit in the Pelicans' favor in getting him for, for the remaining back-to-backs they had. But um, – yeah, yeah. It's uh I'm just looking at the Memphis schedule. I mean, you're you're right. Like the last game of the season against Houston, they're in a fight for seeding. Denver is the fourth last game, they're in a fight for seeding. You do get Philly the second to last game. And if I'm gonna say the Pelicans are gonna get a team that might be resting players uh in the third to last game with against Philly, then I'm gonna give y'all that same that same vote. Um so um so yeah, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. But there's a few games against teams that are gonna be fighting for seeding, right? Right. 
Well, let's let's move on to the uh, the second raging Twitter question uh, involving <laughs> the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. Um, my my opinion is that ESPN likes to take a player of any sport and force them down your throat. It's been LeBron for the longest time in the NBA. It, I mean, ESPN is probably owned by LeBron by this point. Um, but it seems like now it, the Zion media hype is just overblown. Is he talented? Absolutely. He has He's been on the national radar, radar since he was like 15 years old. I get it. I wish I could jump like him. You know, I wish I had the build that he had. I understand. But for anybody to say that he deserved Rookie of the Year for his 15 games played or however many has been, in my opinion, and obviously in all of Memphis, <laughs> it's absurd because John Morant took a team that had no business sniffing around the playoffs and is leading them into the playoffs currently and is doing things that, that rookies just don't normally do. Now, Zion's team, the Pelicans, are in this position and may have been in this position with or without them because that's a talented team all the way around. Like, that's a deep, talented team in New Orleans that's still young and learning. Now, he's that, that extra kick and that boost, and maybe if he um, spurred them on some playoff run and overtook John the Grizzlies, that there would be more of an argument. But I feel like Memphis on a ballot should have the top two rookies in the NBA. So I, I'm going to toss that one up to you and let you have it. Top – I was so I was mostly with you the everything you said a couple a couple things I'll push I'll push back on and um one, the one thing I will not push back on is is the John Morant rookie of the year I I agree with you on that one um I think I think I would have put Zion's chances at like if the season had finished I I I think Zion had a chance I don't think he should have been and considered the favorite in any reality but I think he had a chance if they both finished the season because the numbers he was putting up was pretty pretty absurd um. The and the the first thing I'll, uh, I I want to slightly push back on is the um, is the the hype machine that is Zion and so like I, I feel like the league was making up for some lost time uh, in terms of hyping up Zion because the reason that we got into this situation with the Pelicans having a, a cakewalk strength of schedule for the last month or two of the season is because they put him on national TV for the first damn first few months of the year because the thought I'm, I'm I, I think the thought was that let's get him on national TV before they fall out of the playoff race because I mean their over under was like even before the Zion injury the, the over under was like between 35 and 41 so the the conventional wisdom was that this team is not connected to playoffs I mean no one saw all the injuries for the Warriors or not no one saw Steph's injury coming I mean obviously we knew a lot of plays but um so you know ESPN TNT they all lose out on all this uh, you know, the, all the games they tried to put Zion on national TV for. Um, and so they get him back. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I think the, the kid is as advertised as, as someone who's watched him play since uh, he, you know, since he came back in January, I, I think I, I've been, I've been, I don't know what I, I was going to say satisfied, but that feels like the wrong word because it doesn't sound excited enough, but he's been as, uh, as uh, explained or as, uh, as anticipated, and that's how good he's been. It's really been phenomenal. And so I think he's the real deal. And so he, I think he deserves the hype in comparison to, you know, how much he was hyped up in college. I don't necessarily think that the gap between his hype and, and the John Morant hype is fair. I mean, I think Jaw has been incredible too and deserves, deserves 
to be right there alongside Zion in terms of the, the hype meter, so to speak. Um, but um, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, and the second is, uh, so very interesting comment around the top two rookies. And I, I, I think Clark has been excellent this year. Um, but I'm not sure I'm willing. And I was even going to say, before you went to the, the top two rookies in the class, I was about to say that maybe we're giving Ja a little too much credit because of how good guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark and, and Dylan Brooks until the late, late shooting slump uh, have been for this team. Uh, I know, and, and even DeAnthony Melton, like all these guys have been, have played above, I think what they expected in the rookie year. And so while Jaws has been incredible, those guys have certainly helped to get to where Memphis has, has, uh, has gotten this year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not ready to call Brandon Clark the second best rookie in, in the class. I mean, I, I think that maybe speaks more to the lack of talent in the class this year. Um, which, which I think is a, it's a fair consideration and man, shit, it's been so long since we played it to pull up the list of rookies to, to even start to actually strongly fight you on that point. Um, but, um, uh, I mean, there've been a couple of guys over in Miami that have been pretty, pretty good this year. I think, I think in terms of like rookie of the year odds, um, Kendrick Nunn's been up there, um, feeling, say whatever you want to say about him off the court, which I totally get, like, um, he's, he's been solid. Um, and so there's been. You know, I think there are some other guys who had that who can make that argument, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, other than that, those are the only two things. I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think, I think John Morant's rookie of the year. I mean, like it's a hundred percent right now. If you finish the season, it's still probably like pretty like first Zion's got to bring the Pelicans in the playoffs. That's that's table stakes. If he doesn't do that, then there's no chance. And then he's got to put up some like truly truly insane numbers the rest of the season to really have a have a have an argument given the lack of games played. All right, so let me let me clarify that I'm not saying that I think Brandon Clark is the second best rookie in this class. He's not because I believe that his ceiling is is close to what he is currently. I don't know how much room for for growth in his game there is. Um, I think there's some, but yeah, fair enough. I think there's some. I'm just saying, as far as like R.J. Barrett's ceiling is way higher. Um, Tyler Hero's ceiling, I think, is higher than Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark will be a um, a borderline sixth man of the year candidate. Um, or a above average, really good starter besides Jaron. If Jaron goes to the five, and then we, you know, bring, I, I attributed the the trio of Jaw and Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. to a similar to Steve Nash, Sean Marion, and Marty Stoudemire type lineup, um, and kind of the ways that they play the game. Um, now, obviously, there's a Hall of Famer in that conversation, so that's a a, a bit of a stretch. But yeah, I, I get I get the comparison though. I, I I see where you're coming from on that. So, I, obviously, it's one, two, Zion and John, and it always will be with this class. Um, I do think that if there's a redraft, Brandon is in the top ten for sure, if not even a little higher um, than that. But as far as, as impact on the floor, there hasn't been a more efficient rookie this year than Brandon Clark um, offensively from the floor. And so I, that is why I say if the ballots were to come out today, I would – I would put jaw one and Brandon two based on the entirety of the season with the understanding that Zion is definitely um, probably the best player in this class. If, if not just one a and one B with jaw, but just based on voting for rookie of the the year, the season that took place, I think Brandon's closer to Kendrick Nunn than a lot of people want to say. And that's, that's probably because when Jimmy was down, Kendrick, you know, was carrying, helping carry that team. Um, and Brandon comes off the bench. 
Um, so I get where – we're a small market there, Miami. I, I get where Brandon's not going to get that kind of love, but the numbers speak for themselves that Brandon Clark deserves to be in the top three conversation for sure and m- consideration for, for finishing second in that voting. Yeah, I mean, I think he's – I'm with you. He's he certainly – like I, I'm giving him top five in the class for sure. Like uh, it's, as far as the rookie year that he's had, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, yeah, I think it's a – I think it's – I think it's really, really interesting discussion. And, and the reason it's interesting is, again, is I feel like the, this class has been kind of worse than I think we may have yeah. anticipated, which is, which is too bad. But um, it doesn't mean it's not time to turn around, obviously. But the, 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 and the, the one thing that I've tried to push back on with New Orleans fans about this is that they try to compare it to the Embiid and Brogdon situation. And I feel like this just not – it's not the same thing. Just because, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Brogdon fan. But at the same time, like he was not putting up the numbers that Jaw's putting up. Like that's that's it's totally different, different situations. Like <laughs> John Morant's numbers are would be rookie of the year in a lot of years. And so like and whereas Brogdon's were not, and it was like an exception uh, that I mean my vote would have gone to Malcolm Brogdon over um, over Embiid for for sure. Um, but uh, but but yeah, I mean people were trying to trying to use that. I was like, well. You know, it, and you can compare Embiid to Zion, but you, I don't think you can compare Brogdon to to Ja in terms of the years they're having. Right. The one thing I think you can compare between Brogdon and Morant is something that you brought up a minute ago is that Ja may be a product of um, how well Jaron has improved, Brandon Clark's play, D'Anthony Melton has been an absolute diamond in the rough. Valanchunas has stepped up huge towards yeah. the end of the season right before it stepped down. So Brogdon's rookie of the year victory had a lot to do with the team that he was on too and the and his ability to contribute to that team um, as much as, as anything else. So I think that's about the only place that you can compare the two because they are yeah, totally enough. different outside of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, uh, anything else you want to add in there before we hop off? No, man, this has been fun. I just wish we would have been able to see this, see this play out. Um, I, I think these are, it, I'm, regardless, I feel like this is going to be a, a fun rivalry. Despite, uh, I think there's been a lot of playful jabs already. I, I feel like it's two fan bases that will <laughs> genuinely res- respect each other. Um, and hopefully that this is a, uh, between the, the two teams, Memphis and New Orleans, and also looking at uh, Chris Apps and, and Luca in Dallas, this is going to be another <laughs> – you know, we've gone from Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston being fighting, and now we're going to have, uh, hopefully, have Memphis, New Orleans, and Dallas fighting. And so it's, uh, uh, you know, the division did not get any easier, and let's uh, let's have a fun rivalry for a long time. No doubt. And if the uh, whenever we find out what's going to happen with the NBA, uh, if we do get to have that play in, um, we'll have to we'll have to get you back on and uh, talk about how things play out. Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. I appreciate it. Uh, From Mason Ginsburg, this is uh, Justin Lewis. This has been another episode of the 3 and D podcast. Uh, We will catch you guys next week.